as you think about singing the, the Christmas songs, you think about coming in here um, in the church, seeing the, the decorations and things up and uh, ready for, for, commun- uh, for, for Christmas. You see communion table up here. Uh, there's a lot of things in this building that a lot of people have put a lot of work in and volunteering and helping to, uh, to do from the music to all of these things. And I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for our church family who does so much. So, so thank you to everyone who's been part of that. As Pastor Brett mentioned, we begin a four-part Advent Christmas series. Um, we also began our new set of classes, winter classes, uh, for this quarter. And being the CE pastor, you might think, wait, he's going to take an opportunity to make an announcement I'm going to let you know what those classes are. It is not an announcement. This is, I want you to, I want you to understand, I'm, I'm, I want you to understand what we want to do as a church family. So as you think about Advent and what we're doing and gearing up towards and helping people look to the hope that we have that we celebrate specifically at Christmas time in specific ways. We have three classes that uh, are that same idea. And I want, I want to share this and we're going to come back to, to the uh, to the message here. Unsaved Christian is being taught by Kurt Ellis in the fireplace room. In the book, Unsaved Christian, uh, in Sarah, the writer, he says this, in cultural Christianity, holiday church traditions often take priority over the understanding of the holiday. Unsaved Christians need forgiveness of sin, not just better church attendance. And then in the book of uh, the study of Joshua that Andrew Ford is, is leading, um, we talked about that a little bit this morning, and he even did it on the podcast, talking about the fact that Joshua is reminded, and he reminds the Israelites to be strong and courageous. Not because Joshua is all that, but because God is faithful to his promises. And then I'm teaching a class, God's Glory in Our Stories. And we'll be looking at amazing biblical, historical, and personal stories of of God's faithfulness and the hope that we have in him. Think of that as more than an announcement. That's a reminder that everything that we want to do at this church, whether it's here in the songs that we sing, it's the sermons that we preach, it's the classes that we do, it's the baptism that we celebrate tonight, we want to remind each other and those who don't have their hope in Christ that that is where our hope needs to be. It's in Jesus. So as we uh, think about these messages, the adult classes, the recommended daily Bible reading that, readings that Pastor Rip mentioned, they're all meant to help us, our families and our church family, remember that our hope is in the Lord. And our focus at Christmas, Christmas time and year-round needs to be that. And we need all these reminders because we struggle with Christmas drift. Do you know what Christmas drift is? That's this idea that it's when we resort to yelling, name-calling, manipulation, sinful thoughts to improve Christmas time. Has anyone ever done that? Like you have your Christmas plans and they don't go the way that you want and you're yelling at people? People, I'm mean and angry. I'm not going to do that because I don't want to yell into the mic and give the illusion that I'm mean and an angry person. But... You're mean and angry and yelling, and it's like, we're celebrating Jesus. Do what I say. (laughs) We do that. And Christmas is specifically one of those times that's just so busy 
that it's easy to have that drift. It's easy all of the time to have it, but especially with the busyness of Christmas, the end of the year, and all of those things, uh, we, we have a tendency to, to have an even more likelihood to go that way. I must confess, and I confessed this to my family last night, I fall into this. I fall into this. I fell into this yesterday. The day before preaching this message, I fell into yelling at my family and trying to get them to do what I wanted them to do. We fall short. Each and every one of us fall short. Not just at Christmas time, but in our, in our life, we fall short. And the reason we fall short is because of the problem. If you don't know, some people on the staff like to joke around a little bit and things like that. Um, I, didn't know, I don't know if you know that about Pastor Brett and uh, some others too, but... Um, Needless to say, having Dave Rogers being the problem has been like an ongoing thing uh, for, for quite a while. And I, I must admit, I fed into the, the, the joke too. Today, I'm preaching on the problem. As we, um, as we anticipate Christmas Day, celebrating the first coming of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, our Savior, born in a manger in the town of Bethlehem, It's our hope that as we look forward to that, we will also be looking forward to that day when he comes again. Takes us to be with him. We live in glorified bodies. There's no no crying. There's no tears. We're with him in a right and perfect relationship. But today, there's a problem. And I am the problem. Me, Dave Rogers. You are the problem. Each and every one of us is the problem. Each and every one of us. As we think about the, over the, the next couple of weeks, talking about the problem, Pastor Jury talking about the promise of a savior, a solution to that problem, Pastor Jason talking about the prophecy, in the sense of there's this promise, but there's this waiting time, and it, the Israelites and others need to be reminded of these, through these prophecies that this, this solution is coming. This promised one is coming. And then Pastor Brett talking about the the birth of the Savior. This four-part series, the 24 Bible readings, is not to be plucking Bible verses out of the Bible to make us feel some kind of Christmas nostalgia. It's not to make us feel nice and Christmassy and wintry and warm and fuzzy. But it's to remind us of the gospel. These sermons and verses are meant to be Bible-driven, gospel-centered sermons and readings that focus our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ. The one we celebrate, and not just celebrate, but the one that we need to respond to at this time of the year and throughout the the year. I want to explain those two hyphenated words that are in there, the the Bible-driven. These messages are rooted in Scripture. These four messages, they're going to be rooted in in Scripture. The Bible doesn't just provide a springboard to talk about wintry, gift-sharing, holiday season themes. These messages are also gospel-centered. And this doesn't just mean that they use the Bible or that they reference Jesus. Even though those things happen. Hopefully God will use his word preached in this sermon, in the other three sermons in this series, and in every sermon that you hear here or any Bible preaching church. 
These sermons will cause you to consider how to live your life in light of who God is, who we are, and what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. We're going to be sharing Advent resources online. We have the, the paper thing, stuff like that. But like I said, I want, I want to remind you, this, this is meant to help us focus in on Christ at this time of the year. Uh, one of the articles that I shared was uh, Three Christmas Pitfalls for Parents. And one of them talks about the fact that uh, get, having Christmas hijacked. And here's a quote from it. It says, so when the world publicly hijacks our holidays, peacefully take it back within your home, within your community, by teaching, showing, and shining Christ's light to everyone around you. That's that idea of a gospel-centered sermon. It's that idea of shining Christ, not just hearing it, but shining it and showing it to others. The sermons that you hear, not just Christmas sermons, but every sermon, they don't end here, listening in this auditorium, in this building. They find their fruit as we live our lives in those truths. Here's the point of today's Advent message. Christmas is not a testament of the goodness of mankind. Sometimes you'll hear that in the sense of the goodness of our hearts. And, you know, you hear all those Christmas-type themes. It's about the goodness of man. It's not, um, it's not a testament to the goodness of mankind, but rather a commentary on our human sinful condition. And it's a proclamation of God's grace. That's what Christmas is. That's actually, that's the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is this. The gospel and Christian living. Now listen, it's just the same quote with a couple of words changed. The gospel and Christian living is not a testament to the goodness of mankind. You are so awesome and God loves you and he he wants you to have awesome things. It's actually a commentary on our human sinful condition and the proclamation of God's grace. The proclamation of God's solution for that problem in Christ Jesus. So as we think about that, this is the introduction to the sermon. As you think about this idea, this, this message, I want us to go to what will be the Bible reading. I think it's on Tuesday. It'll be this Tuesday's Bible reading. So take your Bibles and go to Romans 3, 9 through 20. Romans 3, 9 through 20. And before we look at this passage, let me pray. Father God, you humble the proud, you exalt the humble, and we stand in awe. We recognize that the way we feel fragile, exhausted, and burdened at this time of the year may mean we are at right where you want us. You sent your son to help the weak and the weary. Open our eyes to the weaknesses we try to ignore and cover over. In your son, we are safe to own our sin. We come humbly to you to save us, to cleanse us of our sin. We come to rejoice in you and your strong arms, not ours. Magnify yourself in us this season through our rejoicing in you and in your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever felt that uh, holiday season fatigue? Have you ever, ever felt that, like it just in the sense of it's, it's 
There's just a lot going on. Once again, I'm, I'm just going to keep coming back to this. You know, you know why we sense that holiday fatigue? Whether that's physical fatigue, whether that's emotional fatigue, whether that's spiritual fatigue, whatever it is, the problem is sin. And, and I don't mean that in a, like a flippant throw it out. I mean that in the sense of it, it impacts us in so many different ways that we don't even know it. And I want you to understand this. When I say the problem is sin, that is not... Every problem in your life is because you did something wrong. There are things that are because you, you committed a sin. But there are things that happen because we live in a sinful, fallen world. And they're just the consequences of living in this world. Our bodies ache. Michigan wins. <laughs> just all kinds of things that happen that we don't want to happen. They happen. But think about this. Everything, everything in our lives. And I throw that out as humorous, but I want you to understand this. The pain that we feel in our body to the emotional and psychological problems that we're struggling with, to the spiritual problem that we have in our relationship with God and others, all of that is a problem because of sin. I want to just encourage us some more. In this problem that we have. So let's look at uh, uh, Romans 3. And I'm going to read 3, 9 through 20. Okay. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is one. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The venom of asps is upon their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And they have not known the way of peace. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because the works of the law, none of mankind will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes knowledge of sin. What a great Christmas passage. As you listen, there should have been a couple of things that stood out to you. Um, I know we don't have microphones. People might not be able to hear it if they're listening online and all that. But what are some things that stand out to you? Just yell them out if you look at the passage. What are some things that stand out to you that are repeated um, or emphasized in this passage? There's no one. There's no no one. Over and over again, there's this all-inclusive. There is no one. They have all turned aside. Not even one. Every mouth closed. What else? We're guilty. There's a sense of there's no denying it. We are guilty under the law. There's an imagery in this. If you think about even some of the imagery there, the venom of asps is under their lips. Their throat is an, a what? An open grave. There's some, some not-so-pretty imagery that's in here. And it doesn't start just in Romans 3. If you started the Advent reading on Wednesday... December 1st, you have had four readings done. And if you haven't, I'm going to give you just a quick summary. We did this on Wednesday night during the prayer meeting. Quick summary of them. So the first one was Genesis 1, 1 through 31. And I'm I'm talking fast. I'm going fast through this. So everybody 
You got the bookmarks. You can read them yourself. Uh, Genesis 1, 1 through 31, with the key verse being verse 31. God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. That idea of that reading is God, who is sovereign all over all creation, finished his work of creation, and he saw that it was good. It was good. Then the next day is Genesis 3, 1 through 13, with the key verse being verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Eve saw the fruit. Eve considered eating the fruit. Eve ate the fruit. Adam ate the fruit. Adam and Eve sinned. And then they tried to hide from God. Then you got Genesis 4. Genesis 4, 1 through 16, with the key verse being verse 8. Cain talked to his brother Abel, and it happened that when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Adam and Eve's son, Cain, sinned. The sin of Adam and Eve spread to their offspring, Cain. There were was, there was some sacrifices given in 3 and 4. One of them was accepted. One of them was not. Listen to this, listen to this pattern. Cain saw God's regard for Abel's sacrifice, saw that God had accepted it. Didn't accept his. Cain became angry. Cain killed his brother. And then Cain gives that line that many of us know when God comes and asks him, where's your brother? What does, what does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? I, I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not in charge of him. I, like, it's almost like this. I don't know where he is. Cain knows where he is. He's where he last put him. Because Abel was dead. Cain murdered him. And then we go to chapter 6. Genesis 6. This, was the, uh, the, 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 this is the reading for today. 6, 1 through 8. The key verse is verse uh, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. There's that everyone. There's that the, the spread of sin and the seriousness of sin. Just in that passage. The spread of it, it's everyone. And the seriousness of it, they were continually evil. They were continually doing evil. So you think about this. Adam and Eve, well, God creates and it's good. Adam and Eve fail to obey. Cain fails to obey. The people of Noah's day fail to obey. Here are a couple of quotes from an Advent devotional that I found on this. And I read the whole thing. And once again, the links are available online there. But the idea of this, listen. After the fall, a seductive, powerful, and deceptive love replaced the love we were meant to have exclusively for God. And that was the love of self. Devotional goes on to say, and so humanity needed to be rescued. Someone was required to do what we could not do for ourselves. Defeat the love of self. And restore the love of God in our hearts. So in the sense of this problem that we've been talking about over and over and over again this morning. There's this sense of Christmas is that defeat of the love of self and the restoration of the love of God. Through Jesus Christ. Christmas time is when we celebrate God's amazing love. 
It's a, and when I say it's a time, it's one time. We should be doing that all the time, but it's a specific time that we set aside. We schedule things around it. Um, but it's also a time when we can see the self-love, our self-love, and the self-love that's in the world. Every year when I, when I preach and when you, or when you think about Christmas time or when I'm writing or, or teaching or whatever, I just, I don't know how family budgeting goes in commercial things, like in commercials. Think about this. And maybe it's, I'm, I'm just there. If I came home with a new car for my wife, there might be some excitement. And then there might be some, hey, we got some budget things. We got some serious budget things to talk about. It's crazy. And I am so glad that the automotive industry has realized that, or the commercial, automotive commercial industry. Have you seen the new one now where they pull up to the in-law's house or the, the, the house and the ribbon blows off of the house and lands on the car and the the. the the grandfather or father walks out and he goes, oh, you got me again. He's going, what? No, no, we didn't. And he takes the car and is driving. That shows that they realize this is crazy. This idea of, hey, just whatever you want, buy it. Whether it's a car, whether it's a video game, whether it's a candy bar, whether it's a hamburger, whatever you want, you deserve it. You get it. That idea of self, your, what you want you deserve, you need to get when you want it. This is such a difficult, impossible, not just difficult, but impossible thing for us to fight in and of ourselves. There is no hope for the human race apart from God's mercy because of our self-love and our sin problem. In this Uh, In these Genesis passages that we looked at, we see the truth of Romans 3, 9 through 20 lived out. There is no hope apart from God's mercy. There is no hope for the weak, for the unstable. Think about the the song that um, Emily sang right right before we came up here. There is no hope for God's, uh, apart from God's mercy. There is no hope for the weak and the unstable. There is no hope for the bitter and the broken. There is no hope for the guilty ones. There is no hope apart from the lamb who was given, slain for our pardon. His promise is peace for those who believe. There's no hope for us apart from God. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope. Here at Christmas time, I want to remind you Of the words of the song that we heard. So come though you have nothing. Come he is the offering. Come and see what your God has done for you. Actually I want to correct the words to that song. Thank you for singing. And I'm not. not, It's not one that we now we can't sing it anymore. Because you know I'm going to correct it. I want you to think about this. So come though you have not nothing. It's not like you're zero. Come, rather, you have your sinfulness and your brokenness. It's not just like you're at a zero-sum game with God. You've done nothing. We have lived in rebellion against him. So it's not just that we don't have nothing. We're like negative. 
We're in debt to him. So as you think about this, as you think about this debt that we have, let's look at verse 12 there in, in Romans, Romans uh, 3. Okay. Uh, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. So as you think about uh, just what's, what's going on here, we're, we're going to look, we're in Romans 3, but we have all of history that we've looked at in Genesis. Now we're going to look at Romans 1, 18 through um, 3, 8, leading up to this verse. In Romans 1, 18 through 32, and you can go back and read this on your own. It shows the immoral pagan is a sinner. Just to do a quick glance at the pronouns in um, Romans 1, 18 through 32. If you go back there and you look at Romans 1, 18 through 32, there's basically two sets of pronouns. They, there, and them is contrasted against he, his, and him. Over and over again, they, them, and their is contrasted against he, him, and his. Their sin, their corruption, their, it's almost like this whole, they over there. Those immoral pagans that we're not, they are against God. And we can read that passage, that part of the passage, and go, yeah, you get them, God. Those people over there, they're against you. And then you look at what he he does next. 2, 1 through 16, chapter 2, 1 through 16, he shows that the moralist, the good person, is a sinner in need of a savior. And then you look at 2.17 through 3.8, and he shows that the Jew is a sinner in need of a Savior. For over 50 verses, Paul makes the case that we are all sinners. And then verse 9. Look at 3 verse 9. What then? Are we better than they, all those other people? Are we, the Christians in Rome, better than they are? The pagans, the moralists, the Jews? What's the answer to that? In verse 9. Are we better than they are? I'm, I'm, ask, I'm asking the question. So you got it. And this is real easy. I'm asking you to cheat. Look at the answer. Ready? Everybody look down at verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? I want everyone to say no, not at all. Every one of you. Ready? What then? Are we better than they? We are not. None of us, in and of ourselves, are better. Jews, Greeks, Jews and non-Jews, Roman Christians, all sinners in need of a Savior. And then you get into verses 10 through 18. And through that, you see this. So we got all of, his, all of history in, from Genesis 1 we have Romans 1 up until this point. And now we're going to see Romans 10 through 18 is all kinds of Old Testament quotes. All kinds of quotes from the Bible that, have, uh, that are, remind us of this. So, if you look here at the, at the passage, um, we're, going to do, we're going to just do one of the ones that, that I had uh, planned to do. First is uh, Romans 3, 10 through 12. 
As it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. And there is no one who does good. There is not even one. Now, we're going to do a Sunday school thing here. Okay? So, everyone on this side of the room, go to Psalm 14. And everyone on this side of the room, go to Psalm 53. We're going to come back to to Romans here in a second, but... Okay, so Psalm 40 of Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Okay, everybody, everybody got it? I'm going to read them. Ready? I'm going to read 14 first. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's chapter 14, right? What was it over? Was that, was that yours too? Let me read Psalm 53. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustices. There is no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Then we go to Romans 3, 10 through 12. There is no one who does good, not even one. We have the testimony of history. We have the testimony of Paul's writings. We have the testimony of scripture that says there is no one. There is no one who does good. And then if you look at the Romans 3.17, Romans 3.17 is hinted at in Luke 1 verse 79. And if you... Think about it, it says, in 17, it says, they have not known the way of peace. And in Luke 1, 79, which is Zechariah's prophecy about his son, John the Baptist, who is going to be pointing people to Jesus, he's prophesying that his son will point people to the way of peace so that they'll know the way of peace. So over and over again, we have this in Scripture. We are sinners, we are sinners, there is a way of peace, and it's of God and not, of our, not from ourselves. So as you think about this verse, we have all of, this, all of this testimony about who we are, and it's not looking good. I'm the problem. You're the problem. We're the problem. The whole world needs to know Romans 3, 10 through 18, so that they will understand their need for a Savior and trust him for their forgiveness, for the forgiveness of their sin. Your initial thought might be this first part of Advent isn't very Christmassy. But there is hope. It's like in all of those movies, if you think about all those movies, like the uh, science fiction ones, the, the mystery ones, the spy ones, the, the, the love story ones and all that, there's always this that's dark. It's dark. And then something happens that's amazing. This is the most amazing of stories. And here's the thing. 
It's true. And it's not just true. It's needed. You can read those fictional stories and go, oh, that's, a, that's a great story. Throw the book aside, go to the next one. This one you cannot throw aside. As you think about this, I don't want to take any, I don't want to say thunder, but that's the only word I can think of right now. I don't want to take anything away from the next three guys who are preaching and and their messages of hope, but I cannot leave you hanging with you're the problem. I want to close with three very brief but very bright truths for us to remember. First, the verses immediately following 3, 9 through 20 in several commentaries are called a spiritual feast. Listen to this. But now, apart from the law of righteousness of God, uh, the righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed by the laws and the prophets. But it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. So there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We have the gift of grace which is in Christ Jesus. So 3, 9 through 20 is dark. And 21 through 24 is a spiritual feast. Parents, because God gave us the greatest gift of Jesus Christ. We can love our children at this Christmas time by teaching them that though gifts are fun, the joy they provide is temporary. And if you're a parent of children, you know that. You could probably, I could probably have people come up here and tell humorous stories of, I bought my kid a toy, it was the one they wanted, and three days later they're playing with the box that the toy was in. Right? So you're going, what was that? That one thing, they're like, I'm bored. Four days after Christmas, it's like, what? How are you bored? I got you everything you wanted, and you're bored. Those gifts are temporary. Salvation is the only gift that will eternally satisfy our longings. Second, the Bible reading passage for tomorrow shows us how to respond to God at Christmas. Not like Adam, not like Eve, not like Cain, trying to hide our sin and blame shift. Tomorrow is Psalm 51. And if you're familiar with what Psalm 51 is, it's when David repents. It's the Psalm of David's repentance after his sin with Bathsheba. And at the end of that, well, in 51 verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. David saw, David coveted, David sinned, David deceived, and then David repented of his sin. And finally, the next three weeks of sermons. The promise, the prophecy, and the presence of Jesus Christ, the solution to our problem. This Advent series is something we've chosen to do this year. To help us get into the word, to focus on Jesus Christ at Christmas time. We want to welcome you back tonight. Think about this. So we talk about Advent. We want to welcome you back tonight for this, uh, for the baptism service. What a great way to celebrate the amazing rescue from sin. As we see believers follow Jesus' command in, in baptism. Right now, we're going to take communion. What a great way to celebrate Jesus Christ coming and dying for our sins. And as we begin this season of celebrating Jesus Christ, let's not forget that he came as a baby, 
to die on a cross for our sins and rise from the dead so that we could have abundant, everlasting life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you for all that you have done um, for us in Christ Jesus. I pray that we would use this season of, uh, of the year to celebrate that. But I would pray that we would remember that it's not just about Christmas celebrating what Jesus has done for us. It's about our lives doing that. I pray that we would shine the light of Christ to a world that is in so much trouble and problem, um, filled with the problem of sin. As we celebrate communion, as we celebrate baptism, and as we gather together as a church family, not just on Sunday, but all the time, help us to be an encouragement to one another and a help. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.